Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin. Nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Allahumma anfa'na bima'allamtana wa'allimna ma'yanfa'una. Warzuqna ilman tanfa'una bih. Amin ya rabbil alamin. Rabbi syrahli sadri wa yassirli amri wa hlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. We continue with the chapter of Adhan. Busy with the chapter of Adhan from, of course, Kitab al-Salah, from the book Bulugh al-Maram of Imam Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, rahimahullah. So, our first hadith reads from Jabir ibn Samurah, radiyallahu anhu, that he said, Sallaytu ma'an nabiyyi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-Eidayni ghayra marratin wa la marrataini bighayri adhanin wa la iqamah, rawahu muslim. ونحوه في المتفق عليه عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما وغيره جابر بن سمره صحابي رضي الله عنه he says I prayed with Rasulullah with the Prophet the two Eids العيدين referring to عيد الفطر and عيد الأضحى غير مرة ولا مرتين he says not one or twice not once or twice meaning I prayed many times many Eids we made with the the Prophet بِغَيْرِ أَذَانٍ وَلَا إِقَامَةٍ Without any adhan and without any iqamah. This hadith is in Muslim and it's also found similarly in an agreed upon hadith from Ibn Abbas uh, and others. Right? So it's in Bukhari and Muslim and others as well. So he says that we prayed with the Prophet Eid, both Eids, many times. And when is Salatul Eid? When does it start? When, when, when can we start with Eid? And if we decide we can have Salatul Eid, the sun has, after the sun has risen. Right? We explain that, the, the length of a spear and so forth. After that we can start with Salatul Eid. So there's no actual Adhan and no Iqamah. This is what the Hadith, um, this is what basically what the Hadith says. From the benefits of the hadith, Ibn Uthaymin asks a question. He says, Is jama'ah, congregation, a condition for Salatul Eid? That must it be prayed in, in, in congregation or can you pray Eid on your own? It has to be done in congregation. This is the correct view and Allah knows best. So if you missed Salatul Eid, what do you do? Let's say you overslept and you missed the jama'ah. Can you make it on your own? You cannot make it on your own. So there's no qada for it basically. Unless there's a jama'ah coming later on. Then you can join that jama'ah and make Eid with them. I think in some countries they have a first jama'ah. And they bring in a second jama'ah. And they bring it like this. So they have an early jama'ah and then they have a late jama'ah. So if you miss the early one, in that case no problem. You hit the late one. But otherwise if you missed it, then there is no qada for you. Um, as for the ruling, some ulama say it's fard, some ulama say it's sunnah, Allah knows best. The hadith also proves that if the, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa left off something, ma'a wujud sababihi, whilst that thing was possible in his time, then this is a proof that that thing is not permissible. That that thing is not legislated and part of the religion. Is this principle understood? There is a principle that says, whatever 
was found. Or the cause of it was found in the time of the Prophet And he did not legislate anything regarding that thing. Then to bring that thing into the religion is an innovation. So anything that was that could have been done possibly in the time of the Prophet and he did not do it. We're speaking about ibadah here, of course. Then we say that that thing is an, an innovation or a bid'ah. Because it was possible, he was able to have done that thing. There's nothing preventing him from, from doing that. So for example, Maulid, could he have celebrated his birthday? There's nothing preventing, he could have, but he never did it. All big nights, Isra, Mi'raj, and 15th of Sha'ban, and you know, which, the other big nights they have here. Did he do them? No. Was he able to do it? Yes. Anything preventing him from doing it? No. So we say this is a bid'ah. Example, another different type of example would be a microphone. A microphone like we are using right now. Did the Prophet use it? No, he didn't. Was he able to use it? No. This wasn't around in his era, in his time. So this is something different. This is something different. Would he have used it? Most likely he would have used it. Firstly, it's a dunyawi innovation from the, in, into the worldly affairs. Secondly, <coughs> we found in his time, he used to use people that had a louder voice. We find in his time, when he used to say something, somebody else further, we would repeat it. So that those at the back could hear. So they did things to make, you know, to the adhan. They would stand up high and make the adhan. So some of people say, we well, used to the right at the back. And the one that stood in front, what you could have is the same body. For the Prophet yes. But for other people, no. For Sahaba, no. So we mean in that era, this was, this, was, this was given to the Prophet yeah. That when he spoke... Even there was a millionaire, they could hear him. You know, they would, they would hear him loud and clear, basically. Um, but he too, for example, when he spoke on Hajj, when he spoke to the Hujjaj, there were over 100,000 with him on Hajj. Where did he speak from? He sat on top of his camel. Everybody could see him from all around him. He's in the middle of the people and he spoke. You know, the point is he took the means such that his voice could reach. And that people could see him. Definitely there was a medical involved such that everybody could hear him. But when he needed something announced, he would call someone with a loud voice. You announce it. You shout. You, cause you understand? This is a proving that if there was something to make it easy, like a microphone, like a, a, a speaker, this would definitely be, have been used. So nobody can say it's a bid'ah. Because firstly, it was not found in the era of the Prophet. If it was there, he would have used it. Secondly, we can also argue that this is actually a worldly innovation that's just used to aid and to make things easy in propagating the message and Allah knows best. The same with computers and cell phones and those things. It's not an innovation into the deen. But when we use it in terms of da'wah, it's used as a wasila to allow the message to spread. The correct message to spread and to make things easy in terms of da'wah. Right? And we say it's not a bid'ah because it was not around in the time of the Prophet ﷺ. He would have used it had it been allowed around and Allah knows best. Um, the hadith is also a refutation 
upon some of the fuqaha and some of the people who announce before Eid, before the Salatul Eid, they say, As-Salatul Jami'ah. Right? As-Salatul Jami'ah. This is like an announcement that's made in the Masajid. And then everybody stands up. You know, we normally, in our tradition here, we come to the Masjid, we sit. And there's takbir happening and so forth. And then when it's time for the Salah, when the Imam comes, somebody stands up and he shouts, As-Salatu Jami'ah. Right? That's, this is our way of doing it. Three times. Right? Three times or whatever the amount of times. In actual fact, what is this hadith proving? They made it no adhan, no iqamah, no announcement. We said last week the word adhan, the word adhan, it means, in actual fact, it means an announcement that's being made, declaration that's being made. In this case, no adhan was made, no announcements were made, no iqamah was made. They stood up and they prayed. So this as-salatul jami'ah, was it possible in the time of the Prophet Yes. So we say this is something that's actually an innovation that should be avoided. It should be avoided and Allah knows best. The next hadith is narrated by Abu Qatadah radiallahu anhu fil hadith al-tawili fi nawmihim anil salah. Ibn Hajar says, narrated from Abu Qatadah, from a lengthy hadith. It was a long hadith wherein it speaks about them oversleeping for salah. Right? So in this hadith, it says, ثُمَّ أَذَّنَ بِلَالٌ فَصَلَّ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ كَمَا كَانَ يَصْنَعُ كُلَّ يَوْمٍ رواه مسلم. Abu Qatada says that Bilal then gave the adhan and the Prophet then prayed the way that he used to do every day. The same way that he used to do every day. Firstly, what happened? It's a lengthy hadith as Ibn Hajar says. So what was the story? Basically, the Prophet was on travel, right? And he used to love to travel during the night. He preferred to travel during the night time. Okay? So what happened was they traveled through the night. Towards the end of the night when they got tired, they would stop over, set up a camp basically, and they would take rest. Right? But as it's known, if you sleep late, you will oversleep for Fajr. It's natural. So the Prophet and those who were with him, they were tired and exhausted and they went to sleep. But what did they do? They, uh, they put someone in charge of waking them up. So in that case, in that time it was, in this case rather, it was Bilal radiallahu an. Bilal had the duty of waking everybody up for Fajr. Perhaps he wasn't as tired, whatever the reason was, he was chosen and he obviously was happy to do it to make sure everybody gets up for for Fajr what then happened was is what happened they never woke up he himself fell asleep and they only woke up after the sun was already shining upon them so they woke up and it was starting to get hot and it was sunny already and hey we never made Fajr so immediately what happened was is Bilal. Abu Qatada narrates and he says Then Bilal gave the adhan And the Nabi Sallallahu He then made salah Just like he made every day Just like he made every day What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this, this part of the hadith What do you understand from this? 
like normal. Like it's as if it was in the time of Fajr. Meaning, they prayed the Sunnah first. And then, they prayed the Fard. And he prayed the Fard the same way he normally prays the, the Fard Salah. This is what the Hadith is telling us. That there was no difference. Yani because he overslept, it wasn't a, you know, a slap dash Salah. Okay, I just need to make Qabar, get it over with. Which is done by many people. So when we oversleep, what happens is, we... Uh, we then get on the musalla, we make two quick raka'ats of fajr and that's it. You know? But the Prophet ﷺ, he prayed as if it was in the waqt. He prayed fajr as if it was him praying it on time, with everything the same. You understand? So, benefits of this hadith, Ibn Uthaymi rahimahullah, he says that Rasulullah is a human being. He was a human being. And he would be afflicted and he became tired and he was overcome with exhaustion and hunger and thirst just like every other human being right so much so in this case he was so tired he did not even wake up for Salatul Fajr <coughs> this wasn't obviously a, an, a common occurrence this was a, maybe a once off occasion because obviously the Prophet he would be there in the masjid five times a day but this happened because of what happened. And perhaps there's wisdom in this. Allah allowed this to happen. There's wisdom in this. To teach us a lesson. That for those of you who will oversleep. Right? When you wake up and when you pray. You pray as if you are praying it on its time. You don't make qada different to the way that you make. Um, the usual salah that you pray on time. The second benefit Ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah mentions is Husnu khuluqin nabi sallallahu alayhi wa The excellent character And the beautiful character of the Prophet sallallahu Because we don't find that when he woke up He went and he swore Bilal Or he cursed Bilal Or he scolded Bilal Or he was angry at Bilal Radiallahu anhu It was Bilal's job to wake him up Bilal overslept. It wasn't something purposeful. He was also overcome with tiredness. So in the end, he also overslept, or he fell asleep, and they all woke up when the sun was shining on them. The Prophet ﷺ, out of his patience, about, uh, out of his understanding nature, he understood. This is, it just happened. Qadr Allah This wasn't his fault. He never blamed Bilal in any way. This is, this is a sign of good character. That sabr, that, that understand, even though it was his job, right? But the Prophet obviously understood that this is what happened to Bilal. So it's not uh, something that was in his control. Thirdly, he says, That the person who oversleeps for salah, he is excused. Ma'adhurun, he is given an excuse by the Sharia. And he is not sinful for oversleeping. He is not sinful for oversleeping. But, Ibn Uthaymi says, this is muqayyad. That it's, it's specific to a person who, for example, has nobody to wake him up. 
So he goes to sleep. His intention is to wake up. He's got nobody to wake him up. Right? And in the end, he oversleeps. So it's just out of his hands, basically. You can't force yourself to wake up. It's out of your control. Today's day and age, you don't need somebody. You can use a device. Right? We have alarm clocks, we have phones, and we have even your TV can be an alarm for you. Right? Um, you can get somebody to phone you. <coughs> you can get your parents or your neighbor or your family or friends to phone you awake. Make sure I'm awake, phone me, keep on phoning me until I get up. Right? People do this, for example, in Ramadan. In Ramadan, they do it, but out of Ramadan, they don't do it. So in Ramadan, we do it so that we can eat suhoor. But outside of Ramadan, for Fajr, then that's okay, man, let me sleep. You know? Now I let you sleep and we sleep in peace. You understand? So we have to take the means. We have to take the means to waking up so that we can wake up. The first means is to sleep early. The most important thing is to try and sleep early. Secondly, it is to have a niyyah. You have to have the niyyah to wake up. You can go and sleep and in the back of your mind you know. I'm not really going to get up. You could even put on 10 alarms. And in the back of your mind you know. I'm not really going to wake up. So you, the putting the alarm on is one thing. But you need to have a firm, resolute, niya intention. I'm going to get up. No matter what, I must get up. You have to fight your nafs and force yourself up. Understand? So, I mean, many times you hear the alarm and you just snooze and snooze and put it off and put it off. And before you know it, it's gone with Fajr. So you need to have a resolute intention and a niya to wake up. And thirdly, you try and get somebody to wake you up. With your spouse or your children or your parents or whoever it is. You get somebody to make sure that you wake up. After taking all of these means, this means, all of this, right? And you still overslept. Somebody phoned you and phoned you and you slept right through. Your alarms went off, you slept right through. In this case, you say you are excused. And there's no sin upon you. Because it was out of your control. But somebody wakes you up, wake up, and wake you up a second time and you get up. You look at them in the face and you say, yes, somebody, get up now. You turn over, you go to sleep. And you wake up again and you say the same thing. And again, and you go to sleep. And you overslept. Are we then excused for this? There's no excuse. You were woken up. At that point, if you had the intention, if you were really determined... You would have gotten up. You would have gotten up. If it was suhoor, and they said, hey, there's five minutes left for the adhan. It's Ramadan, there's five minutes left. Get, eat something. Eat a date and water. Take something. You will jump out that bed because I need to eat something. Others are all day without food. So we make up, we determine. This is the difference. This is how we can now judge ourselves and see, was, it really, was my excuse really valid? You can fool yourself and say, no, I tried, man, but you know, I, I didn't mean to sleep, but I just fell asleep again. But like I say, put, it, put yourself in that same situation, but it's not just Fajr waking you up for. Waking you up for something else. You need to go to work, you need to go to campus, you have an exam, you have a lecture that you can't miss, you have some appointment. Driver's license appointment, you have a doctor's appointment, whatever. 
It's an important appointment. They wake you up and as you're tossing and turning, they say, you need to go now or you're going to miss your appointment. You'll be up out of that bed and you'll be moving. And this is how you can judge yourself and see when it comes to Fajr, am I the same? Is that determination? Is that resolute intention there? Do I get up? Do I jump out of that bed? Because Fajr is running. It's, only, it's a very short time. It's a very short time. It's just an over an hour, hour, 25 minutes, for example. Roundabout. But it goes quick. It goes quick. If you close your eyes, it's another 15 minutes gone. You wake up again, it's another 15 minutes. And like that, it, it, it flies by. So, for us to claim this excuse that we are not sinful, the, the sleeping person is excused, like in this hadith over here, we have to firstly earn that excuse. Earn that excuse by taking the means, yani wake, going to sleep early, putting your alarms on, asking somebody to wake you up. Be sincere and have that niyyah to wake up. If this is not met, then do we really have the excuse? It doesn't seem to be the case. Allah knows best. Um, if you still overslept, then we say that you are excused like in the case of the Prophet and the Sahaba over here. They overslept, but what happened? Bilal was put there to say, look, you stay awake, you wake us up. He accepted, he said, I can do it. But along the way, he fell asleep. They all overslept. They took the means, you understand, to have somebody to wake them up. This is very important to understand. And it's not something we should be negligent over. That the per- because this is what shaitan will do. Shaitan will tell you, if you oversleep, it's okay. If you oversleep, you're not sinful. If you oversleep, you're excused. So no issues. You understand? Some people purposefully oversleep because this is what they understand. If you oversleep, it's okay. Right? This is not, not, not what is meant by the ahadith. There are other ahadith that speaks about it. The pen is lifted from the one who's asleep until he wakes up. Understand? But here we see that there must be an excuse for you to oversleep. You can't purposely oversleep. So it's something to pay attention to. <coughs> Another benefit of this hadith is that if you miss the salah by oversleeping, then this does not mean that you leave off the adhan. Which means if you wake up, you can do the adhan. Even though the time is gone. Fajr is over. The sun is up. You woke up, you can make the, the adhan. This is what they did. فَأَذَّنَ Bilal. Bilal gave the adhan. Then they made the salah. You understand? If you are, for example, resident. Remember they were travelers. You are a resident. You woke up in your home. You're not saying you should do The adhan was given in your area. That's sufficient. In this case, you're traveling, it's something different. If you're a group of people in a specific place, then you can maybe still do the adhan, right? But you wake up at home with your family, no need to, to do the adhan in that case, right? Yeah, they were traveling, so somebody had still had to give the adhan. Um, also, a benefit of this hadith is that the adhan is a call for the salah, and again, not for the waqt. Not necessarily for the for the waqt. It's a call to the salah. Right? This is why we said, if it's late, you delay the salah, you can delay the adhan. Right? You can delay the adhan. This we explained last week, the hadith. Bilal stood up to give the adhan. The person said, abrid. Let things cool down first. Stood up again. 
let things cool down first. Stood up again, let things cool down first until they saw the time of salah is nearly out. Nice, give the adhan. Then they made salah. So even though the waqt is in, the adhan does not have to be on the exact time. So in the masajid, you will find it's always on time because they congregate on time. 10-15 minutes after the time. So that's how it's going to be. Again, if you find yourself on travel, find yourself staying somewhere, you don't have to give the adhan on time and then make salat an hour later. You make the adhan before you are going to make the salah. Another benefit is the rawatib. What is the rawatib? I gave you this word, was it last week, the week before? The rawatib, plural, singular form, the ratiba. What is the rawatib or the ratiba? I'm going to have my dates along and you get the answer. The rawatib are that specific sunnah salah that are attached to the salah. There are 12 of them through the day. Right? Two before Fajr, four before Dhuhr, two after, sorry, yes, two after Dhuhr, two before Maghrib, two after Isha. Rawatib. If it makes them, Allah grants him a house in Jannah. The Rawatib are Tuqda. Yani you make Qada of them. Just like you make Qada of the Fard. Because the Prophet Sallam, he didn't just make the Fard Salah when he woke up. He made the two before Fajr and then the two for Fajr. So the Rawatib, if you overstepped or you missed the Salah for, out of a reason, for a reason, then you can make the full salah like you would have made it in its time with the sunnahs and the fard. Understand? Then Ibn Uthaymin mentions something interesting. He says that if a person wakes up before sunrise and just before the end of the waqt of fajr, just before the end of the waqt of Fajr. So let's say Fajr ends at 6 a.m. Let's take 6 a.m. for example. You know Fajr ends at 6. You've got to be done by 6. And you wake up 5 to 6. You wake up or you go to the bathroom, take wudu, and what's the time? It's now 2 minutes to 6 or 3 minutes to 6. There's only time for 2 rakat, maybe 1 rakat. But you get it in. Then the time will end. Right? He asked the question, do you play, pray the ratiba first? And then the fard. Meaning, do you pray the two rakat of sunnah? Then the time will expire. And then you play the fard. After the time. Or do you cut out the ratiba, pray the fard. And you just get it in the time. Then maybe pray the ratiba afterwards. Right? So I would have said you pray the the fard first, because it's in the time, and then you can pray the sunnah after. Ibn Uthaymin says you pray the sunnah first. I was very, first time I read this, he said you pray the sunnah first, and even though the time expires, you then pray the fard. 
And his reason for this, his justification for this is, you overslept for, for that time. So you are excused for all that time that went by. You are basically excused and there's no sin upon you. So you pray it as if you are in time. You did not waste that time purposefully. So for you to pray it and even though the time basically expires, you're not purposefully delaying the salah right to the end so that you can squeeze it in. He said you woke up, you went to wudu, got to the salah, you prayed. He said you pray as if you are praying normally. You pray as if you are praying normally because you are excused for, for missing that whole waqt. So you pray the two, even if a time expires. He says it's okay because whoever oversleeps for a salah or forgets it, let him pray it um, when he remembers. This is the hadith that he comes with as, as an evidence. Um, he says so in this time, in this case he says that time is not restricted for him. That's, that little small period of time is not restricted for him. Because he has an excuse. His excuse was that he genuinely overslept. And this is the view of Ibn Uthaymin, Allah knows best. Allah knows best. Um, to me it made sense that you pray the fard in the time, and then you pray the sunnah afterwards. He says it doesn't work like that, because you are excused for all the time that was missed. If you purposefully delay, then you are not excused. In that case you need to pray the fard first, and then you... Can maybe you can't even then pray the sunnah because you purposely let the time go. So Allah knows best. Um, try not to be in that situation. But if you pray the fard first, it'll be no sin upon you, obviously. Um, and according to him, you pray the sunnah first and then the fard. This will also be permissible, and you are excused for the time that was lost. Allah knows best. Another masala he brings is if you are with a group of people. Let's say you're at home and it's, you are with your family. And you get up, and you see there's only two minutes left, or three minutes left. Do you pray first, or go spend time waking them up? You wake them up? Yeah, you overslept. So you get up at the end of the walk, there's not much time left. Are you going to spend your time waking them up? Or do you spend your time making sure you at least got your salah in the walk? And he was going to take time to wake them up. Same only applies. Same only He says it doesn't apply. <laughs> so the sheikh says here that to pray on time is a shart. That's a shart for salah. To pray, to wake people up is wajib. So a shout comes before wajib. A shout is more important than a wajib. This is in this case, you fulfill the shout of salah, which is to pray on time, and then you wake them up. And then you wake them up. Allah knows best. But in a way, it makes sense. Instead of you wake up, and to wake them up, the whole waqt is going to go, and then you're going to come and make salah. He says, in that case, make the salah, then you wake them up. If it's going to take time, if it's going to be quick, quick, you put on the lights and just shout, hey, get up, and then you go and pray, that's one thing, you can do that. But the point is, you start the salah. In fact, what I think he means here is the jama'ah. You don't wait for the jama'ah. Right? You don't wait for to wake jama'ah. 
So you got to wait on everybody to start the jama'ah. You start the salah. Understand? So you don't wait for them. You start the jama'ah. Correct, sorry. He's talking about congregational prayer. So you wake them up and you go and pray. You don't wait for them to come to form a, a jama'ah. So even if you make salah alone, that's rather make it on time than wait for jama'ah after time. That's basically what he's saying. Any questions on this hadith so far? Or any questions up to now? So the ruku does not capture the. You have to make a full rak'ah, a full unit of salah. There's a hadith on this. A full unit. So the ruku is not is is the beginning of the unit basically. You understand? You have to get the ruku and both sujuds, and then you got the full unit. You understand? To catch a jama'ah, the raka'ah and the jama'ah, that is where the ruku comes in, because you got the beginning of the raka'ah now. You missed the ruku, you missed the, you missed the part of it, so you missed the unit. Understand? That's the difference, basically. But for you to catch the waqt, you have to make a full raka'ah, which is the two sajdas. طيب, um, the next hadith walahu an Jabirin radiallahu anhu meaning the right by Muslim Sahih Muslim from Jabir radiallahu anhu and the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam atal muzdalifa fasalla biha al-maghriba wal-ishaa bi adhanin wahidin wa iqamatayn right the hadith of Jabir we discussed this hadith in length when we spoke about hajj hadith of Jabir is the description of the Prophet's hajj the long hadith he describes a full hajj of the Prophet A part of this hadith speaks about when he comes to Muzdalifah, he prayed Maghrib and Isha together with one adhan and two iqamas. With one adhan and two iqamas. Right? So what happened was is the Prophet on his hajj, he left Arafah. So we go to Arafah on the 9th. We are there until Maghrib. That's the time for dua. Right? From after Duhar until Maghrib. Wukuf. Some people leave before Maghrib. Some people leave after Maghrib. Right? But the time for Dua is until Maghrib. So the Prophet until Maghrib they were in Arafah. And once Maghrib time came in, Arafah is now over. They left Arafah. They walked towards Muzdalifah, which is the next stop. And that's where you basically spend the night. So they left Arafah on foot, some on camels, and they proceeded off to Muzdalifah. What then happened was, um, as he was leaving, he went, he relieved himself, took wudu quickly, and he left. As they were on the way, 
Usama ibn Zaid radiyallahu anhu was with him on his camel. He said to him, Ya Rasulullah, Salah, it's Maghrib now. Shall we not pray Maghrib? And the Prophet said, As-salatu amamak. Salah will happen in front of you. They in front will make salah. And they left until they got to Muzdalifa. By the time they got to Muzdalifa, Isha was, was upon them. It was Isha time. They, they got down from the camels and they settled in Muzdalifa and he instructed Bilal to make the adhan again and he made two iqamas meaning adhan, iqama, maghrib after maghrib, iqama, isha two iqamas with one adhan, right? because this is of course two salahs is being made jam of now being combined and they become now one waqt so you got two salahs in one waqt, in one time. Hence, one adhan. Understand? Hence, one adhan because it's one waqt. It's one time. Um, as for the iqama, iqama will be twice because you are basically announcing that this new establishment of a new salah about to take place. So before Maghrib and before uh, Isha. Ibn Uthaymi says this is of the most authentic ahadith and proofs that jama' is permissible. That to combine between two salahs are, are permissible. If you look at the Hanafis, they don't believe in jama'. The Hanafis, they don't make jam salah. Do you know that? Hanafis only make qasr. So if they travel, they shorten the salahs only, but they don't combine the salahs. They don't combine the salahs because they don't believe it's permissible. Okay? The other imma of the view that it is permissible. This is a clear proof that it's permissible. The Prophet delayed the Maghrib. He could have prayed there. Right? He delayed the Maghrib to Muzdalifa. Made one Adhan and two Iqamas. This is proof that they combine the Salahs. Right? To clear. Otherwise it would have been Adhan for Maghrib and Adhan for Isha. To prove this two different times. But because it was one Waqt, one Adhan, Everybody comes together, Iqama, Maghrib. Afterwards, Iqama, okay, next Salah, Isha. It's a clear proof for Jam Salah. Understand? It's a clear proof for Jam Salah. Um, as to the Prophet saying, As-Salatu Amamak. He said to Usama, Salah is, Yani Guddam. Like you say, Arabic, Guddam is, is in front, ahead. Salah will be done when we are there in front or somewhere ahead. Why did the Prophet not pray where he was? On the border of Arafah or in Arafah, about to leave Arafah. Because as the leader of the whole Ummah, with 120 odd thousand people following him, watching him, if he decided at that point, let's pray now on the road, They're on the road. Right? They basically left Arafah and they're on the road. If he decided, let's pray, it means a hundred and odd thousand people needs to park off their camels and descend, find a place to take wudu, get ready, and start the salah in the road. A hundred and twenty thousand, hundred and odd thousand. This is something extremely difficult. So he obviously knew it's not practical for us to make salah right now. I'm going to make salah, everybody's going to make salah with me. And it was not practical, so he said, as let's wait till we get to Muzdalifah. 
we can settle everybody finds a set up like we set up camp you know you're gonna play have a place to sleep and you can relax take your do freshen up and we make salah you understand there was wisdom in this there was definitely um wisdom in this So, <coughs> this is basically one of the reasons why he decided to delay the Maghrib. To make things easy for the people. To make things easy for the people. So, what if you are on Arafah and Maghrib goes? Can you make Salah Can you make Maghrib or must you delay till Muzdalifah? Okay. Can you make Maghrib? Yes. So, if you make Maghrib, would it be fine? Yes. If you made Maghrib in Arafah, yes. after the work of Maghrib. Yes. Okay, you're not following the Sunnah, but is it permissible? Yes. Is Salah accepted? Yes. That's, the, that's the question. Yes. In terms of the shurut of Salah, it's permissible. It's acceptable. So if you made Salah, it's acceptable. Right? To follow the Sunnah is preferred, more reward, but if you... And not, this is not rejecting the sunnah. It's not a bid'ah. But it's not the ideal situation. It's not, I'm going to say, not the preferred situation basically. So if you prayed Maghrib on Arafah, there would be no harm in that. This Allah is accepted. According to some of the zahiris, the literalists, I think we spoke about them in Tahara, we speak, gave some examples of the literalists. They said, it's not permissible. Because the Prophet said, As-salatu amamak. Salahs will be done when we are ahead over there. So they said, must be done in Muzdalifah. Because the Prophet said, you make your salah there. They took it very literally and said, you must make salah there only. But Ibn Sayyid said, this is da'if jiddan. This view is extremely weak. It's extremely weak. Because as we said, the shurut of salah is fulfilled. The entire earth is masjid. Right? The hadith says the entire earth has been made a masjid for me and it's been made pure for me. So wherever you pray, it's accepted. Unless it's in a hammam or a maqbara, then of course this is not permissible. Um, so it would be permissible, your salah is accepted, but better to go, like the Prophet did, get to Muzdalifah and make Maghrib and Isha, and Allah knows best. From the benefits of the hadith is that Jam'in Muzdalifah. Right, Jam'i Muzalifa between Maghrib and and Isha. Um, because as we said, this is easier for everybody. After Arafah, you get and you start to move. You get to Muzalifa, you can now relax, take it easy, make the salah, and you sleep. And you just spend the night and you relax. Right? There's wisdom in this because there's ease in this. As for the issue of praying. Um, Maghrib in its time and Isha in its time then as we said some ulama they say it's better not to do this better to delay what about praying Maghrib and Isha in Maghrib so you're still making jam but it's, let's say you arrive in Muzdalifa and it's still Maghrib time it's possible you reach Muzdalifa and there's still 20 minutes for Isha so you reach you settle can you now make Maghrib and Isha together in Muzdalifah. You understand? The Prophet ﷺ made Maghrib and Isha in the time of Isha. Can you do it in the time of Maghrib? This is the question. 
Some ulama say no, wait till Isha and make it like the Prophet did it. Other ulama say no problem. Either way, it's jam, still no difficulty involved, no problem. Um, Allah knows best. If you're making jam, I think you've, uh, you've fulfilled that ease factor to make things easy for each other, then there's no harm in that. There will be no harm in this. If you delayed it, there's no harm in that as well. Sometimes it's better to do what's easier for you. You could argue, let's make now, be fresh, you got wudu. So it's not easy to take wudu over there, you've got to find water, you've got to find this and that. We have wudu, we here, let's make maghrib and isha. Isha time comes, we're done. So we can relax. So it's easier for us, this will also be no problem. This will also be no problem. Because the Prophet arrived Isha time. Hence he delayed it to Isha. So it doesn't mean you have to make it at that time. This is the way it happened. You understand? This is not manasik of Hajj. There's a difference between the rituals of Hajj and going against the rituals. For example, staying in Muzdalifah the whole night. That's a sunnah of the Prophet Afterwards, Fajr, then the dua time. And then they would go. This is now manasik of Hajj. That's where the Prophet said, take your manasik of Hajj from me, take your rituals of Hajj from me. When we differ with this, it becomes problematic. You know? Like the Shafi'is, they just sit in, ha- in Muzdalifah till 12, half the night, then they move to Mina. We say you're going against the Sunnah. This is now going against the Sunnah. Because that is now differing with the Prophet's Hajj. You understand? As for the Salah, where he made it, how he made it, the time that he made it, it's just because he arrived late. The question is, if you arrive early and you feel it's easy to make it earlier, this is not necessarily differing with the Prophet's Hajj. Are you with me on this? There's, there's a subtle difference between the two, right? But the issue of staying the night in Muzdalifah, that's a sunnah. You are missing out on sunnahs if you leave early. This is where we say, don't do that. Stay in Muzdalifah, it's better for you unless... You are sickly. Unless you cannot stay, it's difficult, you are not well, then we say go. Then we say go. Then it's better for you to go. That's a different uh, a different issue altogether. Um, inshallah, that's clear. Right? Another benefit of this is, if it makes jam salah, one adhan is sufficient, with of course, um, two iqamas. Even for a person who oversleeps, so let's say you overslept for, let's say you fell asleep at half past three in the afternoon. You were exhausted, you had an all night the night before, um, and then half past three came and you put your head down and you were gone, lights out. And when did you wake up? Three o'clock the next morning. It's a possibility, it's a possibility. Three o'clock the next morning. Right? You were out. The whole night you were awake, studying, working, whatever. Came home, put your head down and gone. You must Asr. You must Maghrib. And you must Isha. I woke up at 3 a.m. before Fajr. Two hours before Fajr, hour before Fajr. You must three Salahs. What do you do now? Asr first. But the point is, based on this hadith, you make the Adhan first. If you're a travel, of course. If you're in a city, you will make the Adhan. But you make it otherwise, one adhan with three iqamas would be the, the answer. You understand? One adhan with three iqamas. We don't make the adhan because we are in a city, in an area where the adhan is made. So there's no need for us to make the adhan. 
But you can make iqama, make asr. The way that you would have made asr, like you were praying it on time. Iqama, make maghrib. The way that you would have made maghrib, in its time. Meaning, you recite loud. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, you recite the same way. You understand? Isha, the same issue. Isha, the same way. What about the sunnas? So you make the four of Asr, Iqama, Maghrib, three for Maghrib, two sunnas after Maghrib. Iqama, Isha, two sunnas after Isha. And Witr, you've got enough, you're in the time of Witr. Witr lost or Fajr. Witr lost or Fajr. So you can make Witr afterwards, no problem. You can make Witr, no problem. Witter means uneven, right? So witter is any uneven number. From one, which is uneven, to three, to five, to seven, to nine. Right? So you can do one. One is valid. You don't need to make three. One is valid. So let's say you made Isha, two rakat of Sunnah of Isha, Ratiba, one witter. No problem. Your witter is in. You made witter. You ended the night with witter. No issues. <coughs> right? But the Prophet did make like three. Sometimes he made two and two and two and one. That the witter is that making it uneven. Right? So sometimes the Prophet made separate, like two and then one. Like we normally do it here. Two and then one. Sometimes he made it in one go with one takbiratul ihram. Right? And he makes three raka'at in one. Like we do it in the taraweeh. Right? The same. Sometimes he did it like that. Five raka'at. In one go. So no tahiyat. No tahiyat. Except in the last raka'ah. So you say, Allahu Akbar, read in the surah, go down and come straight up. Next raka'ah, read in the surah, go down and come straight up. No tahiyat in the second. The third, no tahiyat. The fourth, no tahiyat. And you continue doing. And then, the fifth, the last, or the seventh, the last, is the, the witr. So it's, it's actually one, one prayer. There's no salam in between. There's no tahiyat in between. But it's five raka'at. But it's uneven. It's witr. You understand? Or you can make it two. Make salam. Two. Make salam. Two. Make salam. And then you make witr at the end. One. Or you can make three. No problem. Right? That one raka'ah is the witr. That one raka'ah is the witr. Before that is shafa'ah. Is shafa'ah which is that two that you make. That connected with the witr basically. But witr is generally an uneven number. Okay, it's an uneven number. Allah knows best.
طيب The next hadith is وله عن ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما قال جمع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بين المغرب والعشاء بقامة واحدة وزاد أبو داود لكل صلاة وفي رواية له ولم ينادي في واحدة منهما Ibn Umar says that the Prophet ﷺ, he combined between Maghrib and Isha with Iqamah in Wahida. He combined between Maghrib and Isha with one Iqamah. Right? One Iqamah. Meaning, between Maghrib and Isha, there was one Iqamah. So after Maghrib, one Iqamah, then Isha. Right? This is, it's actually in accordance with the previous hadith. Abu Dawood, likulli salatin, meaning, every salat, there was Iqamah. Every salat is an Iqamah. وَلَمْ يُنَادِ فِي وَاحِدَةٍ مِّنْهُمَا Right? Um, meaning, he did not make adhan for every single salah in this jama. Right? Did not make adhan. Basically what we explained. One adhan, and then the iqabah for each salah. This two, three hadith basically add on to this previous hadith. The next hadith of Ibn Umar and Aisha. May Allah be pleased with them. They said that Rasulullah Sallallahu said, إِنَّا بِلَالًا يُؤَذِّنُ بِلَيْلٍ فَكُلُوا وَشْرَبُوا حَتَّى يُنَادِي إِبْنُ أُمِّ إِبْنُ أُمِّ مَكْتُومٍ وَكَانَ رَجُلًا أَعْمَى لَا يُنَادِي حَتَّى يُقَالَ لَهُ أَصْبَحْتَ أَصْبَحْتَ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ وَفِي آخِرِهِ إِدْرَاجٍ right, They narrated that the Prophet said that Bilal يُؤَذِّنُ بِلَيْلٍ أذان, Bilal, he gives the adhan at the end of the night. Right? What's meant by this is just before Fajr. Or Fajr time. So eat and drink until you hear the adhan of who? Ibn Ummi Maktoum. Second Mu'addin now. Until you hear the adhan of who? Ibn Ummi Maktoum. Okay? We've spoken about this before, the two adhans. So, and then the, the writer says that he was a man who was blind. Right? Ibn Ummi Maktoum was a blind man. La yunadi, he did not give the adhan until somebody said to him, Asbahta, asbahta. It's morning now, it's morning now. Meaning, it's fajr, it's fajr, it's fajr is in. They could see in the horizon, it's fajr, fajr sadiq. And then he would give the adhan. Hadith is agreed upon, except that the end of the hadith is idraj. We explain what that means. Um, why was the adhan for Bilal? We explain this. لِيَرْجِعَ قَائِمَكُمْ وَيُوْقَضُ نَائِمَكُمْ وَيُوْقِضُ نَائِمَكُمْ The adhan of Bilal, just before the adhan of Fajr, half an hour before approximately, what was the reason? The reason was, for those who are making tahajjud, it means, get done with the tahajjud, because it's suhoor. You want to get done for suhoor. And those who are sleeping, that you wake up. Because it's suhoor. So this was generally done in Ramadan. It was generally done in Ramadan when people were, were in need of suhoor or people were busy with tahajjud and so forth. Right? So this was the wisdom behind the adhan of Bilal. So eat and drink. After that adhan, eat and drink. Until you hear the adhan of Ibn Ummi Maktoum. His name was Abdullah and some say Amr. Some say his name was Amr. Um... Say, so, as we said, he was blind and he would not start the adhan until somebody said to him, Asbahd, it's, it's morning time, it's morning time, meaning Fajr has now come. Right? At the end of the hadith, Ibn Hajar says, it's agreed upon, Bukhari and Muslim, but that end part is Idraj. Idraj. Right? The part that says, he was a blind man and he would not give the adhan until he was said, it's morning, it's morning, that part is Idraj. 
What is idraj? It was added by somebody who was not the original narrators of the hadith. It was not added by Ibn Umar or Aisha in this case. It was added by somebody later on who, who was part of the narrators of the hadith. Understand this? So they basically added it into show to add some clarity to the hadith about who's Umm Maktoum. He was this blind man who used to give the adhan and he never gave the adhan until they said to him, it's morning, it's morning. But that addition, the ulama of hadith says idraj. Right? So idraj is when the narrator adds something to the hadith which is not part of the hadith. It's not part of what the sahaba narrated. What the Prophet actually said. Sometimes you find idraj in the beginning. Sometimes you find it at the end like this. It's at the end of the hadith. Sometimes it's in the, the middle of the hadith. It depends. But the ulama will know that it's idraj. Because of you know, other narrations that they look at. And they'll see, see this was not in that narration. There's something. And they will figure it out that it is idraj. They have their ways of figuring it out. Um, for example... Right? The Prophet used to tahannath in the cave of Hira. It's not the cave of Hiran, it's a cave of Hira. Hira. So then in the middle of the hadith it says, This is Idraj by Az-Zuhri. What's he doing? He's trying to say, what is tahannuth? What does it mean? Means ta'abud, means worship. Like a small little explanation, because maybe that word is not a common word. So most people who read it, even Arabs, would not know what is tahannus. So what this narrator Az-Zuhri was an imam of hadith. Imam Az-Zuhri was one of the famous imams of hadith. Classical, classical imams of hadith. What he did was, is when he narrated it, he said, in the middle of the hadith, وَالتَّحَنُّثُ التَّعَبُّدُ The hadith says, the Prophet used to do tahannus in the cave of Hira. And then he said, and tahannuth is ta'abud. And then the hadith carries on. Tahannuth is worship. So that people who read it, they understand what tahannuth is. Like this, there's a lot of technicalities in hadith. It's a world on its own. What we are doing here is very, 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 very basic along the time. Um, generally speaking, idraj is not permissible. Unless it's clarified, it's clear by the narrator that this is idraj. So you shouldn't be doing idraj unless you can make it clear that this is idraj. Otherwise, it can become confusing. So they're supposed to say it in such a way that it's clear that this is added on. It's not part of the original text and Allah knows best. From the benefits of the hadith, it's permissible to have two mu'addins in one masjid. Like it was in the time of the Prophet This is definitely permissible if there's a need. For example, it's a huge masjid. Okay, now there's mics, there's no need. Back in the day, in Mecca, they would have different minarets, right? And in each minaret, or minara, there would be a muadhin giving adhan at the same time. So in one masjid, they would have four or five muadhins giving the adhan. Ibn Uthaymi says, we would walk to the masjid and we would hear all the adhans. Four or five, and on their own pace, not together. Not like in one, you know, in unison, each one giving adhan at his own way, in his own pace. Because according to different directions, right? This is completely permissible. This is the same happening in Masjid al-Nabawi. Um, but of course with microphones and big systems now, this is not needed. Um, 
It's permissible to eat and drink right up until Fajr is made clear. I think we discussed that many times in the fact in the chapter of fasting. That the next hadith is from Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma that Bilal adhana qabla al-fajri. Bilal used to give the adhan before Fajr. فَأَمَرَ النَّبِيُّ Sorry, sorry. He gave the adhan before Fajr. Meaning he gave the adhan early. So the Prophet ﷺ instructed him to go back. And then to call. And he said, أَلَا إِنَّ الْعَبْدَ نَامَ He said, this, surely the slave has, he slept. يعني he was overcome with tiredness. And he made a mistake. Bilal made a mistake. Right? And he was told to go back and rectify the mistake. Understand? Because he gave the adhan too early. Although the hadith is weak. Narrated by Abu Dawood, Abu Dawood himself said that the hadith is inauthentic. One benefit we can take from the hadith is, if you, if you make a mistake and people rectify you, it's wajib that you take that rectification. And you, if you need to go back and rectify something, you need to rectify that thing. If you can go back and clarify to people and say, look, I made a mistake. Let's say, clear example, a teacher, a lecturer, a sheikh. If he makes a mistake in his teaching, if he makes a mistake in his khutbah, in his lecture, it's obligatory upon him to go back the next week and to clarify and say, look, last week I said this. It was wrong. I made a mistake. You understand? This is something obligatory because people will take that mistake and act upon it. Or he can, nowadays you can post it on social media. I said this in a talk, in this masjid. Just be clear, this was a mistake on my behalf. On my side. This is something that's important. You should not be arrogant and be too haughty to own up to your mistakes. Right? We all make mistakes. Um, so you said something incorrect or you misquoted something or you mentioned some hadith that's fabricated or weak. You can come out and say, I discovered this. Hence, I take back my ruling. It was based on a weak hadith. There's no harm in this. This should be the way of the alim. This should be the humility of a sheikh or of a scholar to do this. And you find this was always the way of the classical imams. They would come out and say, I changed my view. I used to say this, I changed it now to this because I found a stronger evidence. They were not shy to say, I was wrong. I found myself to be wrong. You know? This should be the tawadu, the humility of a person of knowledge. That's one benefit we can take even though the hadith is uh, inauthentic. Next hadith from Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu, he said, قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ سَلَّمَا إِذَا سَمِعْتُمُ النِّدَاءَ فَقُولُ مِثْلَ مَا يَقُولُ الْمُؤَذِّنِ To hear the adhan, the nida' the nida' means the call. Then, say the same like the mu'adhin says. Repeat after the mu'adhin, what we usually say. Muttafaqun alayhi, from Bukhari, it was from Muawiyah, the same hadith, right? So we know what this means. If you hear the uh, Mu'adhins, whatever he says, you repeat after him. He says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, you say Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu la ilaha illallah, you say Ashhadu la ilaha illallah. Until the end of the hadith. What's the hikmah in this? Is there any wisdom in this? Is there any wisdom in this? That the idea of repeating after the Mu'addin? Say okay, a reminder for yourself. Also, Allah is giving you also reward. The Mu'addin is getting the reward. That gives you also the opportunity to get reward. This is from the 
grace of Allah Azza wa Jal. Right? So the Adhan is one of the great acts of worship. The Prophet said, the Mu'adhins, they will have the longest necks on the day of Qiyamah. They will stand out. People will notice them. They will have a status on Qiyamah because they were the ones who called out Allah's name. They called people to Salah. They, you know, were responsible for this. Allah gives them that special reward on the day of Qiyamah. Gonna get there, right? But in this case, Allah also allowed us to take reward when we repeat after the muadhim. You know, this is the grace of Allah. Um, for example, on Hajj, people on Arafah making du'a, the best du'a is du'a of Arafah. So, what did Allah give those who are not in Arafah? You at home, fast. The du'a, the fasting person is accepted. You know, Allah gives you also a bit of it. The muadhim, we repeat on, we also get of that reward. This is the, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and that's why Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, on Hajj, the Hujjaj must slaughter an animal, correct? So those who are not on Hajj, it's also sunnah to sacrifice, right? Ibn Taymiyyah says it's far to sacrifice. Because if it's far for the Hajji to sacrifice, it's far for you to sacrifice. Because Allah gave you also this chance of sacrifice. That's Ibn Taymiyyah's conclusion. It's also the Hanafi's conclusion that it is fard to sacrifice if you can afford it. Um, Ibn Uthaymi says, you must hear what the Mu'addin says. So you can't be far away and you hear some, so, some random sound and then you say, you're repeating. You must hear him say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, and then you say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. If you didn't hear, you don't have to repeat or there's nothing to repeat basically. Um, is it fard to repeat or sunnah? Some ulama say it's fard, Some, most ulama say it's a sunnah, it's not fard to repeat after the mu'adhin, right? And this can be done anywhere, anytime, unless again you're in the toilet or something like that. Wherever you are, you hear the adhan, you repeat. If you're in a state of janaba, don't have wudu, no matter what it is, your aura is not covered, you repeat, right? In salah, you repeat, you make making salah, adhan is going off. Ibn Taymiyyah rahmallah says you should repeat. Majority of the ulama say you don't repeat. Majority of the ulama say salah is different, you don't repeat. Right? Reciting Quran. Do you repeat after the mu'addin? It's probably best to stop reciting for that moment. Listen to the adhan, repeat after the adhan, and then recite. Right? So, dhikr, you get general dhikr. Like Quran, is, you get it any time. Then you got specific adhkar for specific times, like the adhan. They always take preference because suddenly it's only yani that time now so stop the general dhikr do that which is specific and then you carry on with the general again in your own time that's a general principle that we have so any specific dhikr that comes up at to after the adhan you know you're busy making istighfar for example it's an excellent act of worship but the adhan's done do you stop your istighfar for the, the dua yes it's a specific dhikr at a specific time it takes preference Make that dhikr, then you start, you make istighfar on again, and so forth. Right? As with the salah, we said, even Taymiyyah says so, but majority say we don't do it because salah is something different. That, that seems to make sense, Allah knows best. Um, if you hear more than one mu'adhim, who do you respond to? Right? There's more than one adhan, you hear in your area. Which one do you respond to? You respond to all? 
the first one, the second one. Let's say if you, if you got the first one, you can just follow the first one. That would be sufficient. Allah knows best. What if you hear the first part of the adhan and then you lose the end of the adhan? So as you're driving, you hear the first part, you repeat, and then you drive away from the masjid, and then you didn't get the end. Should you repeat the end to yourself? No, you don't. What if you come to the masjid and it's already bahiyya ala salah, al falah? Do you have to mention the beginning? You only repeat after that which you are currently listening. So you can start from bahiyya ala salah, you start repeating, and so forth. Um, what about an adhan that's musajjal? Meaning it's recorded. A recorded adhan. So your phone has an alarm on it and then the phone goes off, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Do you repeat after the adhan that you hear on your phone? No, you don't. Right? It's not, doesn't count. Doesn't count, okay? Just like it would not count if you went to the masjid and prayed the adhan over the mics and it's playing the, that doesn't count as the adhan. Somebody must give the adhan. You understand? Even if you play, it's a recording. So the radio recording plays, you don't repeat after the radio, it's a recording, it's not real, right? The same salah, you go and play a salah, they put God, Haramain, archives, YouTube, all these, Shuraim, uh, okay, Allah Akbar, and pray. Shuraim is reading Taraweeh, so today is reading Taraweeh, let's make Qiyamul Layl tonight, you know? My Jews, it's not, it's not real, you know what I mean? That's just a, a recording, it doesn't count. Um, if a person has made salah already and then he hears the adhan after he made salah does he repeat after the adhan some ulama said no because means come to the salah but he already made salah so we know it's like not for him but they said he doesn't repeat other ulama said it's ibadah just repeat no problem you know it's such ibadah Two opinions, Allah knows best. Um, and here Ibn Uthaymin says, if you hear a live adhan via the television or the radio, do you repeat? So he says, it's not a recording, it's now live. You see, there's a difference. So he says here that according to the one view, you should repeat, with the other one, you don't repeat. Depending on, as we said now, those who said, it's not for you, so you don't have to repeat. Others said, it's just ibadah, so do it. Ala kulli hal, I would say you decide if you feel like you want to repeat. There's no, you know, it's difficult to, to, to say, um, there's no text, textual evidence, you know. That's why the ulama always differ on these type of issues. Um... If we know that the Mu'adhin gave the Adhan early, before the Waqt, do we repeat after him? No, we don't, because it's not Sahih, right? You can't give the Adhan early. So in that case, we do not repeat after him. If you enter the Masjid and the Mu'adhin is giving the Adhan, do you pray Tahiyatul Masjid or do you repeat after the Adhan? You come in and the Mu'adhin starts. And that's generally why people stand. Why do people stand? So the hadith says that when you enter the masjid, then do not sit down. 
until you pray your tahiyatul masjid, until you pray the two rakaat. Understand? And this is where the idea comes in, where people come in, the adhans on, and they stand. Because they don't want to sit, because they don't want to pray tahiyatul masjid either. So as they come in, they stand, repeat after the mu'adhim, and then pray tahiyatul masjid. Understand? That's where the wisdom in standing comes in. Are you with me? Because if you sat, some ulama say you can't make tahiyatul masjid anymore. Because the hadith said, you cannot sit, you don't sit until you prayed. So if you sit, you lost your tahiyatul masjid. This is what some ulama say. So that's why we stand, repeat other mu'adhin, and then you start. Unless, unless it is the second adhan of Jumu'ah. Unless it is what? The second adhan of Jumu'ah. So what's the second adhan? As the imam ascends the mimbar. As he gets on the mimbar. When he gets on the mimbar, he says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi sits down. And then what happens? Boom, the mu'adhin starts the adhan. Right? That's generally the second adhan. Right? If you come in and it's a second adhan, you see the imams on the mimbar, pray you tahitul masjid. Why? It's a bid'ah. What's a bid'ah? The adhan. The second adhan. The second adhan. Look, there's two opinions on that. Ibn Uthaymin, they don't believe it's a bid'ah. <coughs> Some of the, like, Shahabani doesn't agree with it. Sheikh Mokbil, others. Muhaddith, you could say those who are more stores on hadith, ahlul hadith, they were more inclined to the view that the second adhan is a bid'ah. Right? Other ulama say it's not a bid'ah. Where did it come from? Uthman ibn Affan, radiallahu anhu. Amir al-Mu'mineen. He was the one who started two adhans on Jumu'ah. It was not done by the Prophet or Abu Bakr or Umar. It was done in the time of Uthman. So Uthman decided we need two adhans. We need an early adhan for people to come to masjid. And then we have the adhan when the Imam ascends the mimbar. Um, so some ulama say it's not actually legislated to have two. This was Uthman Ijtihad. It was his understanding that doesn't mean we have to follow it. Right? Other ulama said, no, he was the Khalifa. And the Prophet said, Alaykum bi sunnati wa sunnatul khulafa rashidin. You must follow my sunnah and the sunnah of the khulafa. He was of the khulafa. So hence we must follow him in this. Are you with me? Other ulama, they responded and said, it doesn't mean what they did individually. It means what they kind of collectively agreed on. That's what they, difference of opinion. Right? It's one of those issues we have to acknowledge there's a difference over. Most of the Saudi ulama say it's legislated. It's permissible. And this is what they follow. If not most of the ulama. Most of the ulama say it's legislated. Two other hands. Tayyib. So he's not speaking on the lines of bid'ah. This means it's legislated. It's fine to make two other hands. But if he's making the second adhan, you make your salah first. You don't repeat. Why? You missed the first one. You missed the first adhan. The issue is, to repeat after the adhan is a sunnah. Right? It's a sunnah to stand in, as he says, Allah Akbar, you say Allah Akbar. He says, Ashhadu Allah, 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 you say, Allah. That's a sunnah. But what is a fard? A fard is to listen to the khutbah. The fart is to listen to the khutbah. So you come in, you sacrifice the sunnah of repeating after the adhan so that you can fulfill the fart of listening to the khutbah. Understand? You have to give, you have to weigh up, you have to give preference where it's deserved. You know, you have to, this is the believer and so understand what's important, 
what's more important, you know, and what's not as important. The fard is more important. So in this case, pray the tahiyat. You must, you must have that, there's the sunnah of that, but you can get to listen to the whole khutbah, which is a fard, that you pay attention and listen to the khutbah. This is the thinking behind this, right? This is a uh, 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 fiqh. What about iqama? Do you repeat after the iqama? Okay. What about when the imam? Muaddin says, "Qad qama tasalla, qad qama tasalla." Many people say, "Aqama Allah wa adama," right? But this is not based on an authentic hadith. A lot of people, locals, will hear this. "Aqama Allah wa adama." This is not based on an authentic hadith. Allah knows best. Um, also, when the as the muaddin raises his voice, you also raise your voice. So he says, "Allahu Allahu Akbar." Allah, do you also say? Of course, these adhan is for people. Your repetition is for yourself. You keep it soft. Um, let's take one more hadith from Muslim, Ibn Umar, from Umar al-Khattab, في فضل القول كما يقول المؤذن regarding the, um, the statements that we say when we repeat of the muaddin. كلمة كلمة سوى الحيعلتين So each word you repeat after him. كلمة كلمة Each word. Repeat after the Muaddin, except for the Hayyalatayn. What's that? Hayyalasalah. Hayyalatayn means the two Hayyalas. The two Hayyalas, literally speaking. Hayyalasalah, Hayyalafalah. Fayakulu, la hawla wa la quwata illa billah. Right? When we get there, we say, la hawla wa la quwata illa billah. So Hayyalasalah, we explain, means come to the Salah. Hayal falah, come to your success, your saviour, and so forth. La, then why do we say la hawla wa la quwata? What is the wisdom in saying this? So la hawla means there is no power, there is no might, there is no... Nothing that can change the situation. Tahawul actually means something that can change the situation. No power, no might, no ability. Illa billah, except with Allah. Right? So when we hear Hayya ala salah, Hayya ala salah, come to your success. Come to the salah, Hayya ala falah, Hayya ala salah. The reality is, we can only attain that salah, that success. We can only answer the call, we can only worship Allah after the tawfiq of Allah. After Allah gives you tawfiq and success. If Allah guides you to the worship, you'll worship Him. If Allah doesn't guide you, you'll be like those who are heedless. They hear the call but they don't answer. So in reality, the only way we can answer is by the guidance and the permission of Allah. Hence we say, La hawla wa la quwata illa billah. Hey, come to salah, we say, there's no power might accept with Allah. To affirm that we need Allah to, to answer this call. Allah is calling us, but at the same time, we need Allah to answer the call. To answer this, come to the salah, we will go to the salah only after the success from Allah. Is this understood what I'm saying here? Right? So, this is important. And as for repetition, then does it mean that we say, Hayya ala salah, la hawla wa la quwata la billah? So the Wa'adhin says, Hayya ala salah. What do we say? Do we say Hayya ala salah la hawla wa la quwata illa billah? Just la hawla wa la quwata illa billah. Right? If you think of it logically, it doesn't make sense to say Hayya ala salah. 
Hayya ala salah is the muaddin shouting to the people saying, Come to the salah. Now you are saying also, Come to the salah. La hawla wa la quwata la minah. Doesn't make sense. Who are you calling? You know? You are not calling anybody. You say, La hawla wa la quwata illa billah. You with me? So it doesn't make sense for you also to, 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 to call, Come to the salah. You know? That doesn't actually make sense. So we just say, La hawla wa Because you are responding to the call. As for Allah, Akbar, Allah, Akbar, Ashadu Allah, 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 that's just a reminder of Allah's greatness, Allah's Tawheed, the, the, the Messenger of Allah, His Risala, and Him as the Messenger, and so forth. So this we repeat. Hayya ala salah, we don't repeat because we are not calling. We are following, we are listening, we are answering the call. So we don't make the call if we are answering the call. Ibn Uthaymin gives a similar example and he says, Sami'a Allahu liman hamidah, Rabbana wa lakal hamd. He says the Imam says Sami'allahu Iman Hamidah, which means Allah listens to those who praise him. So he says it doesn't mean yani, those who are following should not say Sami'allahu Iman Hamidah. They should just answer by saying Rabbana alhamd. This is analogy over here. It's a difference of opinion over this one although. So let's leave this for when we get there. For example, Shaabani says you should say Sami'allahu Iman Hamidah as well. Others say, like Ibn Uthaymin, you, you leave it out. So you don't repeat it. You just repeat Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. But Samia Allah Iman Hamida, you don't say that part. You just, when the Imam says it, you just say, Rabbana wa lakal hamd. You're responding to what the Imam is saying. Samia Allah, Allah hears those who praise it. You say, Oh our Lord, we praise you. You know? But like I said, there's difference of opinion on this issue. Tayyib, another benefit we need to mention is, this statement, La hawla wa la quwata illa billah, is a statement of isti'ana. It's a statement of you seeking help. When we say La hawla, it means we, are, we need your help, oh Allah. There's, none, there's no power and might except with you. We need you, we need your help. There's nothing we can do except with you. You understand? It's not a statement of istirja, which is what we say in the times of calamity. If something bad happens, what do we say? La hawla wa la quwata illa billah. Sami does something wrong. La hawla wa la quwata illa billah. You know? La hawla sami. That's the first thing we say. La hawla wa la quwata illa billah. That's not actually how you use la hawla wa la quwata illa. If something happens, you say, inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. In calamity, we say, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. La hawla wa la quwata. You say when you're looking for Allah's help. When you feel you need Allah's assistance. Not when there's a calamity. And Ibn, I, I read some kalam of Ibn Taymiyyah on this many times as well. He also reaffirms this. It should not be said in times of calamity. Like it's done majority of the times. It should be done when we're seeking Allah's assistance. <coughs> Lastly, what about the statement, As-salatu khayrun min al-nawm? Not mentioning this hadith. When the Mu'addin says, As-salatu khayrun min al-nawm. Check it out first. When does it say? The first? 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 The The first? 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 The not actually at the hajjud adhan, eh? that's not necessarily what it is. 
It's for the second one, the Fajr Adhan. Fajr Adhan. The first Adhan, we call it a Tahajjud, people call it a Tahajjud. It's not actually a Tahajjud Adhan. Right? It's more, it was actually done to remind people that they need to take Suhoor. So it's nearly Fajr, so start your Suhoor now. And those who are making Qiyam already, stop making Qiyam. You hear that Adhan? Stop now because hey, it's a reminder Fajr is coming. So go and have your suhoor. So it's not actually the Hajjud Adhan. So it's like just for Fajr period. Yes, look, I said initially it was done in Ramadan. Right? But it was basically adopted throughout the year. They don't do it Hajj, they do it the whole year. They do it the whole year. But the reminder is there for those who want to fast. You need to take suhoor. For those who are in Qiyam already, it's time to end because it's nearly Fajr. Or at least be aware that it's nearly Fajr. And if you need to make Witr, you need to make Witr before Fajr. Right? This was, it was not actually, people think, oh, this is the first, it's time for Tahajjud now. Tahajjud started after, after many hours ago. Tahajjud is Qiyam layl Qiyam layl you can make after Isha. You can make Qiyam layl already. You know, like we do in Tarawih, we make, what was Tarawih? Tarawih is Qiyamul Layl. What happens? We make Isha, Sunnah of Isha, immediately we make Qiyamul Layl. Tarawih. It's just, it's actually better to make it later, the last third of the night. That's the best time. But Qiyamul Layl starts after Isha. So that is not a Tahajjud Adhan. What is Tahajjud? Some ulama say the difference between Qiyamul Layl and Tahajjud is, Tahajjud is better because the hajjud is done after you slept. It means you slept a little bit and you woke up in the middle of the night and then you went to make salah. Then they call this the hajjud after you slept. So it's like slightly more virtuous. But it's still a type of qiyamulayl. It's still a type of qiyam which is the night prayer. So it's not the tahajjud adhan, it's the first adhan which is there to remind us fajr is near, take your suhoor or get your witr done. And get yourself ready for Fajr basically. If you are sleeping, get up, it's nearly Fajr. This is the wisdom in that Adhan. It's not a Tahajjud Adhan, it's a misconception that people have. As for the Salat Khairam and Naum, it's done in the second Adhan when it's Fajr time. Then you say Asalat Khairam and Naum. Um, what do we say after the Imam says this? Some says you must say La Hawla wa Quwata la Billah. Some ulama say you must say Sadaqta wa. How does it go? Sadaqta wa barrarta or something like that. And that's two views. The third view is that you say, As-salatu khayr min You understand? And this is the strongest view. Because the other two have no dalil for it. There's no clear proof for it. Sadaqta wa There's another one. Sadaqta wa barrarta and there's another version. The point is it's not dalil based. It's not actually evidence based. So we say, you just repeat of the Mu'adhan. If he says, As-salatu khairun min al-nawm, you say, As-salatu khairun min al-nawm. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. As-salallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shari wa la ilahi la anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Shaykh, on the point of, where obviously the thought precedes the Salat precedes the Sunnah. If I'm a king of Sunnah, before the, 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 the
Yeah. You should leave the sunnah and join the fard. There is also a hadith. There is also a hadith that says when the imam starts, when that salah starts, then there is no other salah that's allowed. That's valid. So which means if that imam starts, you salah you have to cut off and join the fard, join the congregation. So unless some ulama say you right at the end, you are about to finish off, you can finish off quickly and go. But otherwise. At what point did you catch the Takbir al-Ihram? When is Takbir al-Ihram? I know, he says Allah. He says, I'm walking. Allah, Allah, Allah. Inshallah, you got it. Alhamdulillah. I heard him saying Allah. Allah knows best. Okay.